think that's what makes Paris romantic is that you can go to places and just feel like you're just by yourself, just the two of you, and just sit and talk or enjoy people watching if that's what you like doing. You don't have to go anywhere to have a romantic moment in Paris. It's just got that magic in it. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today, I've put together something you might call the Deviate Guide to Experiencing Paris in a Slow and Counterintuitive Way, and that's pretty much what it is. It's a collage of information and insights to consider if you find yourself headed to Paris, which is one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world. I've been going there myself each summer for the past 15 years. Now, I should probably admit up front that destination recommendations have never really been my area of interest. I've always been more interested in the philosophy and ethos of travel, and I think that with the right attitude and the right amount of curiosity, you can find your own attractions in cities like Paris in a way that's far more nuanced than you'll find in destination rundowns and top 10 lists. I realize, of course, that this kind of information is the bread and butter of the travel industry, and I don't want to knock it. I just think that taking the time to walk around at random in a given destination will offer as much or more than a checklist of attractions. So, for today's episode, I've interviewed my students from the Paris Writing Workshop, which I teach each summer in Paris. You can find out more about those classes at pariswritingworkshops.com. I'll also add links in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And what's distinctive about my students' insights is that I talk to them at the end of one month in Paris, and after you spend a month in a place like Paris, you have a more intuitive sense for the city, one that goes beyond the sights you might seek after a couple of days in Paris. I don't mean to disparage the popular places that first-timers seek out in Paris, and in fact, after 15 years of teaching there, one of my favorite places to take guests is the Champ du Mar, that little park at the base of the Eiffel Tower that's always filled with tourists. But that's part of the fun, since all of the people who go to the Champ du Mar for the first time are inevitably full of infectious enthusiasm for just being in the city. I also like walking around at random in neighborhoods like the 5th arrondissement, since Paris is a city that invariably rewards wandering around at random. So the advice you hear in this episode is often attached to openness and attitude and enjoying the romantic moments that you find in the city. Now, as a companion to this discussion, you might check out and download the TripScout app and scroll through its aggregated Paris recommendations. Yes, TripScout is sponsoring this episode, but it's not a random sponsorship since I've known Conrad, the app's creator, since he wrote for my vagabonding blog more than five years ago. He's traveled to more than 100 countries around the world, so he knows the vagabonding ethic. And he designed TripScout to give focus to your dreams about your trip when you're at home planning it. And simply by tapping on its points of interest, you can begin to create an itinerary for a place like Paris that is available as an offline map while you're traveling. So while this episode will help inform the attitude you bring to Paris, TripScout can help you put together a concrete travel strategy as you dream about a place like Paris. I actually contribute vagabonding-themed content and recommendations for the TripScout app, so check out my link in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate, or heck, you can just search for TripScout in your favorite app store. But for now, please enjoy this Paris episode, which amounts to an impressionistic collection of insights from a group of people, in this case, Rena, Martin, Autumn, Chance, Amy, Linda, Shailene, and Kristen, from the U.S. and Canada and Australia, who've come to love the city after spending a month there. You know, everywhere you go, there are 
there's art, whether it's on the walls of the streets or in smaller museums like the Musée Bordel, which I had never been to before, um, which I visited based on a poster that I saw all around town. And it was just the most spectacular juxtaposition of fashion and sculpture. So, and it's sort of representative of Paris, I think, because you've got, you've got beauty in terms of the people, in terms of the fashion, what you see walking down the streets, you sit at a cafe, you see women in fantastic clothing, you see people well-dressed, you see, and then, you, you know, you see the extremes as well. You see homelessness as well. You know, you smell pee in the alleys. So you've got the high art and the low art just all together, right next to each other. All of the parks are so lovely, and there are so many different parks. There's the Champ de Mars, or out the front of the Louvre, or just around any block. You know, you wander for two or three blocks, a little park pops up, and they're all so cute. Luxembourg Gardens, like, I, it's just, I find it so beautiful, it's so serene, and you can tell that it's a favorite spot for um, Parisians and tourists, you get a mix of both, and I remember one day I went and it was beautiful, and I think it was a Sunday, and so everything was closed, and the, the gardens, the places, the grass that you could sit on was just filled with people, and everyone's got their blankets and their picnics and stuff like that. I think that's my favorite place to spend um, the day outside. Luxembourg Gardens has everything. It has music at times as well. Um, it has sculpture, it has history. There's a, re a new sculpture there that I hadn't seen last year that's dedicated to the, uh, the slaves, the, the people that the French enslaved and when they got their freedom as compared to other, in all of the different countries that uh, France, where France was occupying. Um, so it's just something new all the time and I think it has everything that, the, that you could want on a beautiful sunny day in Paris. So given all that diversity, if you had to do one thing in Luxembourg Garden, what one thing would you do or see? I would just sit in one of those lounge chairs where you can lean back in front of the pool where the boats, where the boats are, the children's boats, and just observe. Watch people going by, watch people reading, what they're reading, people sitting next to you are reading interesting books actually hard copy books as opposed to just looking at their phones. I would just sit by the water and watch people. Honestly, just like picnicking by the river, which is so simple, but I did that so many times. And it seems like that's a, a pretty big cultural piece here um, because it's always packed. Like there's always people hanging out along the river and it really is enjoyable to like get some drinks and just sit by the water. like. I like being content with little things like that. So I think there is a new place that I would go on a sunny day that I just discovered this visit in Paris um, from a Parisian friend, and it's the Chateau du Vincennes. And it's the only uh, fortified castle in Paris or near Paris. Vincennes is actually its own town, but she says she lives in Paris. And it's the last metro stop on the line one. It's this beautiful castle. You do have to pay to do a tour, but you can go inside the courtyard for free. And then around the castle, there's all these trails through forest. And I, ne I never see many trees in Paris. So it was beautiful. So even though it was sunny, like there was some shade in the forest. And then right by the forest, there's a pond or a lake. It's Bois du Vincennes. And it has um, rowboats, um, food trucks along the paths. You can walk around the, the pond. Um, so that, that's really beautiful. And it was rare because I saw so many families there, um, not a lot of tourists. It's where a lot of locals go. And it, was, it was my first time. There. It was the farthest outside uh, the center of Paris I've ever been. My personal reaction to Notre Dame really caught me off, off guard, I'd say. And specifically, what, what did you feel when you saw 
Ruthless Cathedral? Um, I felt a sense of loss, but because of all the construction equipment around and what they're trying to do, also you, you could feel the hope that was coming from it, which is interesting because that's, when you think of cathedrals, hope is always what they promise, but they also carry a lot of loss within them because of the people who've come before and what they have seen standing there. So in the modern world, I guess the last time would have been during the time around the war, but Notre Dame was not damaged the way it was with this fire. So um, it, was an in, it was just emotionally interesting to feel the two sides going at the same time. I came as a tourist before, and I've stuck to Champs-Élysées and the Eiffel Tower. And now that I've been able to go into the neighborhoods, I see the diversity of the people that live here and also the tourists or maybe the students that study here, what countries they come from. So I was pleasantly surprised about to see that. It, it was quite nice, yeah. For example, what kind of diversity was did you see but had not expected to see? The Vietnamese takeout, you know, there's quite a few of them. So the buffet, the food, usually I have trouble eating here in Paris because it's a lot of bread and meat and I'm vegetarian. But now that I've been able to stay in my corner, I can find really great local restaurants. The and they Iranian know me. Place that the made Iranian the special place. rice dish. For yes, me. I went to an Iranian place. They specially custom made a dish for me. And it's, it's like home now, yeah. Paris is the best place to have a free or cheap date. I think you could really just buy a bottle of wine and a baguette and some cheese and sit by the river. Find any spot by the river and it's just beautiful. There's one place that I've particularly fallen in love with that I passed by a lot that I hadn't seen before. And it's right in front of the Pantheon. Um, the face of the Pantheon, directly across from it, you can see the top of the Eiffel Tower. And it's quite beautiful when the sun is setting, um, that view of the Eiffel Tower. And when the sun is setting, the Pantheon is closed, so it's no longer crowded. And I have seen couples who will sit on the steps of the Pantheon and be able to face the Eiffel Tower and are like having a date just sitting on the steps of the Pantheon looking at the Eiffel Tower with the sun setting. Um, I think that's very romantic and that's like one of my favorite views um, that I've passed by multiple times on this trip. There's so many romantic places in Paris, it's hard to pick just one. Um, right outside my door to my apartment. <laughs> I think is a very romantic place. My street is a very small street, and it's very quiet at night. Um, so I, I can't put my finger on one place, although I have to say, uh, my friend visited from Vienna last weekend, and we took the Beto Barge at night, and we were getting close to the, um, the I always want to say the Empire State Building, the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> we were getting close to the Eiffel Tower, and it started to twinkle right at that moment. And at the moment that it started to twinkle, I think that would be sort of an ideal moment for kiss on a boat on the same. It's funny, the boat ride is such a touristy thing, but I've done it several times and each time it's still spectacular. It doesn't matter. It's just still, it's still fresh, it's still new. Um, it's fun every single time. I think that's what makes Paris romantic is that you can go to places and just feel like you're just by yourself, just the two of you, and just sit and talk or enjoy people watching if that's what you like doing. You don't have to go anywhere to have a romantic moment in Paris. It's just got that magic in it. Another really romantic thing that I did that I, I did by myself, it wasn't meant to be romantic, is I went to a concert of Chopin piano pieces in a church in the, um, 
the St. Julian Le Pauvre Church, right near Shakespeare and Company, and that has to be one of the most romantic things you can do. I mean, you're in this small venue with a piano player who could be, literally could be playing in Carnegie Hall, you know, one of the best mm -hmm. classical pianists I've ever heard, recorded or live, playing Chopin by heart, some of the most difficult piano music, and everyone in the audience was enthralled. And just, you just, we just couldn't get enough. And he played, I think, two or three encores, and I just thought that was incredibly romantic, because the music is just sort of, engulfing you, wafting through the church and the sound effects, and it's, it's quite incredible. I actually spent almost three hours in the BHV in the Marais. BHV? What's that? It is a department store. It has okay. at least five floors, and each floor is like a whole different world. Like everyone was there, and there's, there's um, salespeople for each department, like whether it's cosmetics, dresses, um, paint, um, there's salespeople, but, and they totally all knew that everyone was in there just to get the AC and seek shelter from the sweltering heat, and they didn't care. Um, and each floor is different, so like I discovered there's an entire art department with like all these like brand name paints, paintbrushes, um, pens, uh, sketchbooks. Are you an artist? I'm not, but I'm interested in starting watercolor painting. So it was really fascinating to see all of that, and then there's like an entire floor with staged living rooms. Um, with different furniture and people were just lounging in the couches like it was their own living room. I was gonna ask, yeah. yeah. there's cafes on the third floor and the fifth floor. So you can stop and there's like a beautiful, in one of the cafes on the third floor, there's a beautiful view of the city. Um, it's like floor to ceiling windows and AC that actually works. So even though I only went there because there was AC and it's one block from where I'm staying, it actually was very fascinating. And there's also like a, there's one floor where it's just all food. Um, and like food that you can bring home as souvenirs. Um, so like the famous um, hot chocolate powder from, I think it's Angeline or Angelique. Um, all sorts of things that you can get. So it's just fascinating to look at everything. I was never bored even though I was there three hours. This is worth talking about because I think sometimes when people think of travel activities or tourist activities, they think that going to a mall would be like admitting defeat, yes. you know? Uh, and so what is special about going to a mall in Paris versus going to a mall in Gainesville or Denver or Los Angeles? I think it's that you get to see products that Parisians are going to buy. So I mean like in, in the food section there are all sorts of products that are made in France specifically um, that you can bring home as souvenirs. I mean there's like artisan chocolates um, and then there's salespeople that'll let you like try different things. Um, there's different teas that are from companies that are here in Paris. So I, I think it's still special because you do get products that are from this country. And then it was funny because even in the food section there was one, um, there was one shelf dedicated to products from the United States and there were things that I would never buy, like I've actually never seen in the United States. Like there was peanut butter that was specifically Reese's peanut butter. I've never seen that before. Um, and there was like um, a tin can of like different candies that was I think based on like the Friends show. I've never seen that before. So I was like, okay, these are not like things that I would typically buy in the US, but um, this was like their US dedicated section. Well, this is an aside of the podcast interview itself, but that's a travel article right there. <laughs> like America through French shopping mall eyes, right? Yeah, uh, and then uh, there was another thing that was shocking was, it, even though it said United States, it said Etats-Unis, there was maple syrup from Canada. <laughs> so I love that they lumped Canada with the US, which I'm sure the Canadians won't love. Hey, this is Rolf checking in here to reiterate some of the Paris strategies you've heard here. I've always said that if you feel overwhelmed by tourist crowds as you travel, the best bet is to walk 10 minutes in any direction from those crowds and you'll find a more organic side of the destination. 
and Paris is one of the best places in the world to exercise this strategy. For more concrete strategies for dreaming about your travels, be sure to download and check out the Trip Scout app, which features thousands of constantly updated points of interest for places like Paris. You can find a link to the Trip Scout app in the show notes at rolfpots.com/deviate, or by searching it at your favorite app store. All right, now back to my students. So I've gotten very attached to my neighborhood, so to the point where I feel like I'm doing what I do in New York, which is I go to the restaurants in my neighborhood. I go to the same ones again and again. I go to the same shops in my little neighborhood. I wave to the people you know, who know me in the stores, on the streets, in my little neighborhood. And I mean, Paris is just such a huge, open uh, place to explore different neighborhoods. But what I've done, I think because this is my second year in a row, staying in the exact same place, is I've gotten I've gotten attached to a neighborhood, which, which I didn't expect to do. Which neighborhood is it? The fifth arrondissement, right close to here. I live right off of Saint-Jacques, so I'm in this neighborhood and I've been frequenting the same restaurants, I've been doing the same takeout, you know, and going just, just even just finding myself thinking it's okay to just go back to the apartment because I think there's pressure when you're here, internal pressure. I should always be out, I should always be exploring, but starting to feel like a local in the sense of going home in the evening and actually just getting takeout and sitting at home and watching the news, that's, that's surprising to me in Paris. If I had the talent as a baker, we had croissants from uh, near, from the 11th, near where Lenné is staying. And there was a croissant with the lightest custard just on top of it and the most, and it was almost like eating a cloud when you got to the crust, but the perfect croissant pastry and then on top of that a lovely design and milk chocolate and when we bit into it we realized that between the custard and the croissant was dark chocolate and it was astounding if I could bake that well I would try and reproduce that because it the food I love all the food and I love the mussels and all the different things you can get but it's really the art of pastry where the French excel beyond just about everybody. You can't beat the desserts in Paris, I mean, especially the tarts. The fruit tarts to me are the best, the best of the best. And I had one amamatra in a place that has a line going out the door. I don't know, remember the name right now, but um, they have incredible fruit tarts in the window. And I would just, I would love to have the recipe for that. There is a Bon Me shop that's like a couple blocks from me. It's on Rue Descartes and it was it's the best thing i've had in my whole life and it's four euros and the like the lady makes it fresh every single day and as soon as she runs out of bread she stops um so you have to hit it at lunch because you can't go at dinner and it's just like the the room is like the size of a closet and it's, it's delicious so i think one of the most surprising moments i've had was when i went to the fireman's ball so that annual tradition here in paris on bastille day the day before bastille day uh, where like the fire stations host parties in different places. Um, I was just, I will always remember this. Like I just never thought I would be standing in the middle of an 18th century building. We were in the Money Museum, um, holding an open bottle of champagne, dancing with a bunch of strangers, with firemen standing around us and like serving us champagne. And then like in the middle of this crowd of like young people dancing, like seeing moms pushing strollers with their babies in them. And so it was like, I just didn't expect it to be such a family event. Um, like, I feel like if this happened in the US, it could get out of hand really easily with all this alcohol and dancing and it being late at night. 
but like it was all so pure and innocent. Like the dancing was like super mild, like not what you would ever see in a club in the US. And there were like kids and families and like tons of champagne. It was such a weird mixture of things I did not expect. And old uh, American 80s music blasting from the stage and like fog machines and all these lights. It was just such a strange moment. It really did surprise me because I wasn't sure what to expect at the Fireman's Ball. I thought it was going to get really rowdy um, and I almost didn't go, but I'm really glad I went. It, it was beautiful and just this um, mix of things that I just didn't expect. So I went into a shop and the shopkeeper was telling me that this girl came in with a bloody nose with her boyfriend and he runs up to her and says, okay, what happened? And she said, a scooter. And so in his mind, he's like, okay, it's, it's one of two things. He asks her, did you fall off the scooter? She was like, no. He's like, okay, did someone run into you with the scooter? No, she tripped over one in the street. <laughs> yeah, they're dangerous. <laughs> Which is as emblematic as that, as a pestilence in the city. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Moving or not, there's scooters everywhere. Yeah. It's just so strange because it's the first way that that's happened. I'm from Texas, so we are pretty hospitable and welcoming to anyone and everyone, um, as I, I feel that we are. I am. I say hello. Uh, I love that when you walk into a shop, you say bonjour, you know? In, in the States, sometimes I won't do that because I feel they don't really care. But out of respect, this is walking to someone's business or their home where they spend their entire day. And that just the respect of just saying hello goes a long way, making eye contact and saying hello. When you talk about Paris, everyone talks about like people here are rude or whatever, and like they have no time for tourists or anything like that. Um, and so I was surprised at actually how kind people were. Like there's tons of shops just around the school and everything like that, um, where people like the shop owners are super welcoming, they're super patient with you. Of course, that's not gonna be the case everywhere. You're definitely gonna have rude waiters, but um, on the whole, if you're kind and you enter with bonjour, most people are gonna like treat you with, uh, with some kindness in, in most situations. That was nice. It's not as, not as harsh as I guess I expected. I had an experience where I, I was running to get to a meeting and I, it was near the Arc de Triomphe and Paris has these sort of these sidewalks that are very high and then the step next to it down is quite low. So I was running to get a meet to a meeting and I tripped and I fell off of the curb onto my knees and my phone was in my hand and my phone fell down and the screen smashed. So now I have a nice lines on the front of my phone um, showing where it fell to the ground. And so a lovely young man, French man, came over to me and I don't know if it was the fact that I fell on my face that he knew I was American, but he automatically spoke English to me. And he helped me up and he was very sweet and he said, are you okay? Do you, are, you know, did anything happen? Are you, everything feel okay? Yes, I'm fine. He was very lovely. He saw my phone and he said to me, well, at least you'll know, you'll always know that you smashed your phone in Paris. So one of the things that I love about French culture is that in my experience, they really are not in a hurry, especially when it comes to meals. So I very rarely will go out for dinner because it will be a two to three hour affair. And I'm so used to, in the US, like getting into a restaurant, eating as quickly as you can, getting out. I remember it being so difficult the first time I came here. I was very stressed out with work. I was working online while I was here. And when my friends and I would go out to dinner, you know, after an hour, I'm like having to like run and find the waiter and, and corner him and be like, we need the check now. Um, because like, I just couldn't relax. So now that I 
I'm used to that. I know that like, okay, if I'm gonna go out for dinner, I'm going to enjoy the meal. I can't be in a hurry. And it's really forced me to savor my meal and stop rushing things. Like you sit in a cafe for dinner or breakfast or whatever, and it's like two, three hours sometimes. And, and it feels really relaxed. And I don't know, back home for me, like meals are very quick. Like we go, we order, eat, pay, and then we leave. Um, and it doesn't feel as, I don't know, something about the slow meals here feel really sort of communal and calming and just wonderful. I think Paris is just the most wonderful city in the world. I mean, not that I've been to every city in the world, but it's, it has something for everyone. It really does. I mean, there's no way. If you're not happy here, I, I can't imagine that you'd be happy anywhere in the world. <laughs> This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. For more about everything that was just mentioned, including information about all the Paris destinations that were just mentioned, as well as links to the Trip Scout app, which is great for travel inspiration, planning, and navigation, check out the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate@rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. Mm-hmm.